Welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. Every podcast that comes out from Build a Bigger Life will be impactful and can change your life if and will you take action on on uh, what you're hearing. You're about to hear how someone chose life over lifestyle. Someone doing more of what they love and less of what they don't. Someone creating a life of fulfillment and purpose. No more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. I love the people that have come into my life this year just out of the sheer intention of being open. Or you're just getting to know Adam. Just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message. You're in the right place if you want to build a bigger life. Here's your host, Adam Carroll. On the Build a Bigger Life podcast with me today is none other than Mitch Matthews. Mitch Matthews is a keynote speaker. He is a success coach, and he is a best-selling author of a book called Ignite, which I have right here on my bookshelf. It's a fantastic book. Um, Some of you may know Mitch as the creator of the Big Dream Gathering. He is the host of the Dream Think Do podcast, one of my favorites, an online marketer having sold over $1 million, $1 million in online content. And he's also the father of two young men who know how to throw tomahawks, shoot shotguns, and crack a bullwhip. He's also the doting husband of a wife who is totally and completely out of his league. Mitch, thanks for being here with me today. Adam, that's probably one of the best uh, introductions I've ever had in my life. That's and great. my wife will totally agree. No, she probably won't. But I, she should totally agree. She does, <laughs> she does not understand that you have totally outpunted your coverage. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I'm in sales, baby. I'm in sales. <laughs> Mitch, what do you love about your life right now? Oh man, that is a great question. Uh, you know, it's it's a little crazy in that when you get to kind of take a look around, you know, it's it's one of those that you know they say people who won win millions of dollars in the lottery can still be depressed or whatever. You know, you can kind of always lose track of your blessings. But when I just take a look around, it's um, it's kind of the some of the simple stuff that I love about uh, my life. Um, I get to do what I do. I get to travel all over the place. Primarily, kind of my main job is to help people figure out what they were put on the planet to do and do more of that. So that's a really cool gig. But I'm actually doing this call from my home office, um, which I'm usually around when our boys get home from school. Um, I get to spend time with my wife when I'm actually in my office, um, which is pretty awesome, you know, and all of those kinds of things. We get to work together quite a bit. And um, so it's this great mix of getting to travel the globe and do really cool stuff with really cool people, but also the simplicity of just being able to do most of it right here from my home office, which is just steps away from my family a lot of the time. I love it, man. You're a creator and you figured out a way to make a living as a creator. What have been some of the the pitfalls that you've encountered in doing that? Oh, golly. Well, it's one of those where, you know, you listed off some cool stuff uh, that we've we've done. Um, but, of course, behind that are a bunch of mistakes and, uh, you know, uh, gaffes and all that stuff along the way. And I, I should also probably put in that introduction, I am a recovering worrier. And so when I, you know, first was growing up, I kind of uh, have worried a lot of my life. And um, it, it's one of those that I also grew up in a household where my mom was an accountant and my dad was a warden in a prison. So not a lot of entrepreneurial blood, uh, you know, coursing through my veins. So, you know, you put kind of a proclivity to worry 
and uh, you know, not necessarily an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial background, and that's not necessarily the recipe for what most people would think as, as an entrepreneur. Um, but what I realized as I was growing up was that I did kind of have some bigger dreams, some bigger goals, and although I knew I was going to take a path of first starting out in the corporate world, kind of learning as much as I could from that world, I knew at least eventually I would need to launch my own thing. And so um, a big part of that has been kind of learning how to take small risks and evaluate those over time um, and be able to build a business gradually. So much so that I still think of kind of any new endeavor, what I try to do is I try to uh, I try to create what I call one-hour businesses, which is not like some sort of get-rich-quick kind of scheme. But whenever I'm trying to do something new, what I try to do is say, how could I do that in one hour a day? So that's in some ways, that's kind of how we got into the online training component of what we do is I, I said, okay, I can't just throw away the stuff that I'm doing. I'm really excited about the idea of building an online component of what we do and being able to sell products and services while I sleep or while I travel. But I also knew I couldn't just throw my speaking and coaching to the side and not pay attention to those things. So I said, how can I do that in an hour a day? And basically just started to build a business that way. And in fact, that's kind of how we got started with my coaching and speaking way back when was I was working a full-time job in the pharmaceutical world and uh, we were living what I call a sitcom life, which was single income, uh, two children, and oppressive mortgage. <laughs> so, so I couldn't just quit my pharmaceutical job and become a success coach and become a, a keynote speaker uh, because you know I was the only one working at the time outside the home. And so what I did was I, I started a one-hour business is what I called it. And, and I basically said, how can I work on this one hour a day, at least one hour a day, um, but do it on the side? And so I did that and I started to, you know, I got training initially. That's where I spent the initial time. And then I started to take that one hour to one and a half hours a day and I started to market myself. And then I got coaching clients and I tried to really focus my time. I was based in the Midwest um, where I'm from, um, but I f tried to find clients on the East Coast and the West Coast so that I could coach one of them before I went to my kind of eight to five job. I could coach them from seven to eight my time. Um, and that was my hour that day, or maybe I found somebody on the West Coast, find clients on the West Coast, and I could coach them after I had done my eight to five job, and that's what I did for my hour that day. And lo and behold, over time, I built a business, and so that's how I built our initial business or started our initial business, and that's kind of how we've built every new endeavor ever since. Is kind of how do you do that in one hour increments, and how do you maximize that time? Focus on that while you're doing it, and if if it builds and it works, then great. If it doesn't, which I've got, you know, a number of examples where it didn't work. You were, I was only out an hour a day. I didn't, you know, kind of put all my eggs in one basket and, uh, you know, throw everything else away for that risk. It was, it was one of those things where I could learn from that experiment and move on. So I, I try to build a lot of what I do through one hour businesses. Does that make sense? I love it. I think it's a great concept. And I want to touch yeah. on two things you mentioned. One is that you took little risks throughout the, throughout your, your career and there is uh, the, the core tenets of building a bigger life. Uh, you can download on the website. It's our blueprint to build a bigger life. And one of them is uh, take calculated risks, but don't be risky. That's great. And, I love that. I love that phrase. And you've done it. You, you know, you've taken very calculated risks in your day. I think the other thing that I want to point out that you've done really well is that oppressive mortgage that you had when you started 
Um, I know because of our conversations in the past, you ditched that mortgage pretty early <laughs> on and opted for a smaller one, which allows people to really pursue what they're passionate about and what they, what they love to do, not what they have to do. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a big one. Um, that's when we were, when my wife and I, uh, we, we've kind of traveled all around. We met in college and then we went and lived in Montana cause we always wanted to live in the mountains. So we went and did that for a while. And then we went and lived in Chicago and then we moved back to Iowa. When we moved back to Iowa, we kind of decided we wanted a, a little like kind of taste of Montana um, in Iowa. So we, we bought this kind of dream home. It was on an acre of land that was on the side of a hill that was just all wooded. And it was just, it was just a gorgeous home and it was a sitcom life, but I was in the pharmaceutical world and, and, uh, we kind of just made it work. It stretched us and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, we just kind of made it work. But lo and behold, as we were there, um, I started at, you know, realize or started to, um, yearn for, a better fit career. My the, the career that I had in pharmaceuticals, I knew that I was eventually on a trajectory for starting my own business, but um, initially the pharmaceutical world had been a good fit, but then it had become a really bad fit over a short period of time. And it just felt like a little part of me was dying every day. My wife could see it as well. And so kind of that trajectory towards our own thing, I think the pace was quickened. We felt more pressure to do it. And, and I'm kind of, I'm grateful for that. But one of the things we had to weigh out was, um, kind of how we were going to live this bigger life. And so one of the things we realized was, when we started our business or when we started moving towards our own business, um, that we wanted to have money to be able to invest in ourselves, obviously to put you know food on our table and a roof over our heads, but also to be able to build a business and that kind of thing. But one of the other things we had to kind of take a look at was this house, which was beautiful, was way out in the country and it was at least a 15-minute commute to anything uh, that we needed to be at, and a lot of times 45 minutes to an hour away from things we really wanted to be involved with and things like that. And so part of the reason why we decided and we, we chose to kind of downsize our life a little bit um, wasn't just the mortgage, although that was a big part of it, was we also wanted to simplify our lives. So one of the, one of the goals that I had, especially when our boys went, were in elementary school, was to be at home as much as possible when they got home from school. I'm a morning person, so I love to go to work early, all that stuff. But I love the idea of picking them up from school as much as possible. And so one of our new goals was to kind of downsize our mortgage but also simplify life uh, so much so that we could be closer to the school, closer to the things we wanted to be a part of and that kind of thing. So we kind of scared our family. Um, we kind of weirded out our friends and that kind of thing when we announced we were going to kind of sell this dream home. And moved to this smaller home that was right across the school, right across the street from this elementary school that we just loved. And uh, literally, like some relatives and friends came to us and said, "Are are you guys okay? What's what's wrong?" You know. But we were choosing with this. We we chose it for ourselves, and it made all the difference. It was one of those things that allowed us to. Uh, I had put a kind of a two and a half year plan together to launch our business so that we could really go after it and, and do it full time. And we were actually able to accomplish that, uh, you know, the grace of God um, and a whole lot of hard work and this whole simplification effort, we were able to do that in five months instead of two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was absolutely incredible. So, you know, downsizing the mortgage was a part of it. For, for us though, we also realized we really wanted to simplify life. So we said, okay, what do we want to be close to? What do we want to, what do we want more of in our life. And it wasn't high mortgage payments and it wasn't time in the car. We wanted time, you know, to be together, 
uh, you know, time to be present with each other and those kinds of things. So that was there was a there was numerous reasons for that downsizing. That's awesome. It's yeah. interesting. You know, you you mentioned uh, you started asking different questions, and I think that the quality of your life is dependent. I think Tony Robbins says this: the quality of your life is dependent on the questions that you're asking yourself at any given moment. Totally. And so you begin to ask bigger questions. The bigger questions are, you know, what do we really want? Or what, you know, what is life, what should life be like five years from today? And I think there's something to that that many people don't see. They just kind of go along and, and they, you know, you, you buy stuff because it makes you feel good for, for a while. Um, and after a while, you realize you're in this house full of stuff that you own or it owns you. You're not really all that happy with where you are. Um, and I know a lot of people who are in this space in the podcasting, blogging, speaking world that many of them have up and sold nearly everything they have and literally live out of a backpack and are recording yeah. podcasts on an iMac, you know, on, I, on a MacBook Air in Bali somewhere. Right. Um, so it's Pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's, it is very cool. But I, and I think it also underscores the need to be very specific about what it is you want to create. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, it's one of those two where there's also seasons, you know, and, and to kind of give yourself, I, I think a big part of that is to realize like, okay, what season are you in? Um, you know, right now we're actually in the process of, of moving towards getting a big house again, which is kind of funny, but it's because our boys are now teenagers. They're huge. They're like, I don't know, they're strong and they're big and they're cool and they've got friends and they want their friends to hang out and all that kind of stuff. So now we're kind of bursting at the seams and our, our goals have changed. But, um, what's cool about that is it's exactly right. It's kind of asking yourself, what season am I in? What season am I in? And what do I need for this season? I think I'm guessing that some of those people that are, you know, in their backpacks and laptops and doing podcasts from all over the world, they're probably in a season, hopefully, that it works for them. I know for me, that just wouldn't work <laughs> in the season that I'm in now. You know, I've had seasons of my life that kind of looked like that, but that just wouldn't work now. You know, we got teenage boys, they got school, we got things to do, all that kind of stuff. So for that, for this season, those kinds of things wouldn't work for me. But I would imagine, you know, for some of your listeners, they'd work. For others, that's probably seems far-fetched but i would also say though a big part of that you know ask what kind of season you're in but also sometimes it's about giving yourself permission to look at things a little bit different it was funny i mean literally some of our friends were were like concerned um all those things but i'll never forget one of our friends who also lived in a huge house who was also in a job that was a really bad fit ironically they wound up helping us move on one particular day they just hey so we, you know asked if they could help out and all those kinds of things and we were moving from this big beautiful house to this really it's not small it's quaint we like to call it uh quaint home and it, she was one of the ones that was really concerned until she wound up sitting in our living room and it was a really comfortable you know it was one of those things where the room everybody was in the room together all these kinds of things. And it was it was interesting to just watch her kind of get it like a light bulb, you know, kind of that that uh, metaphorical light bulb went off above her head. And she she literally said, oh, I get it now. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I get this. This is simpler. This is easier. This is a better fit. And I'm like, 
Yeah, it was it was just really neat to see, but it was one of those where you could tell it was almost kind of like I see why you did this. Now take me with you when you go. <laughs> like, how would I do this? How could I do this? How could we do this? But they over time actually wound up giving themselves permission to follow a dream, something like that, and they simplified in the same way. So I don't say for everybody, you know, in order to launch a business, you got to downsize, uh, but. For us in that season, that was important, and it also allowed us to move that time frame up a lot faster. That's very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, you've had um, you've had God on your side through all of this. And no you're, doubt, you're a man of faith. Uh, tell the listeners how you how it's manifested in, in the crazy connection that you and your wife have because it is supernatural. Ah. Uh. Wow, I don't even know. There's just so many different places I could go with that, but it's it's one of those where uh, it's interesting. My brother's a, a missionary in the in Sydney, Australia, and it's really cool to see him at work and doing his thing. And I just kind of think of myself as kind of a missionary in the marketplace, which is the biggest mission field in the world. And I think uh, you know, kind of being a person, I just I love God, I love the Bible, I love Jesus. Um, I just you know, I'm uh, not a Christian entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur that's a Christian. And some people, I don't know how that makes different people feel, but it's one of those that uh, for me, uh, that faith has made a huge difference in our lives and it's made a huge impact on me. And I've, I've seen God work in big, big ways um, in the marketplace. And that's and it's really cool to see. And so I just feel like I'm just kind of doing my part because I think one of the best ways to walk out your faith, no matter what that faith is, but one of the best ways to walk out your faith is uh, to love people well and be a raging curiosity. I love it. And a curiosity you are. One of those things you got curious about <clears throat> was, I think it was at a time where, where business was not going well for you. And um, and I'm kind of leading up to the, the Big Dream Gathering and how it oh, was yeah. created and what came about. Um, for those that don't know, the, the Big Dream Gathering is it was a, a brainchild of Mitch and his wife, Melissa's. And... Um, it's an amazing experience to go in to write your big dreams down on a sheet of paper, put them on the wall and have other people go and comment on those dreams about how they can help or encouragement, maybe websites to visit, things like that. Um, talk about some of the crazy connections that you saw and maybe some of the success stories that have, have come about as a result of big dream gatherings. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's kind of one of those where, just like you said, it, it you were at the first one, which was a happy accident, an act of utter desperation, and that we were working on one of our own dreams that had uh, kind of taken a hit. It was it was uh, uh, punched out and went flat out on the mat, and I was about ready to give up on it and realized, you know what? Um, I don't want to quit. Uh, I I need help. And literally, you were one of the people that I thought of. I thought, well, maybe Adam Adam can help me. But then I start, started to think, well, what are some of Adam's dreams? How could I help him with his dreams? And I realized I didn't know your dreams well enough. And so that kind of then snowballed into this idea of inviting a, a number of friends over to our house to write some of our dreams down on sheets of paper and post them on the walls and then to look at each other's dreams to see if we could help them out, help each other out. And as you well know, we kind of lost control of the house and it was supposed to go for a couple of hours and it wound up going on for a full week. That first one went on for a full week and we've had all sorts of amazing dreams happen from that big dream gathering. And then as it's turned out, we've done, uh, well, I don't know, I've lost count of how many big dream gatherings we've done since. Now we do them in auditoriums and gymnasiums and uh, huge halls and all these kinds of things. It really, it's an amazing experience. But what it boils down to is just the power of somebody giving themselves permission to dream and then 
the amazing things that happen when we give ourselves permission to dream together. And so it really is incredible. I mean, we've had big dream gatherings in a lot of different cities, a lot of different states. But one of my favorites, again, it kind of speaks to the amazing things that happen when people dream together, is we did one at a, at a university. And it was uh, during a snowstorm. I almost didn't make it in because the weather was so bad. Uh, there was a big basketball game on campus that night that had, had been rescheduled and all this kind of stuff. So there was just a lot of things going on in this campus. And we kind of thought, gosh, it'll be in- interesting to see because a lot of times we'll do a big dream gathering and 200, 300 people will show up. It's, it's amazing. And we probably had about 50 or 60 people show up because of the weather, because all these things going on. But we still did it. And it's always fun to see what, what might happen. And, and one particular student put up, she wanted to, she wrote down a number of dreams but one of the dreams she posted on the wall was she wanted to meet this one particular family that lived in Zimbabwe so here we are in a room of about 50 60 people in a small little campus in the middle of a snowstorm and lo and behold this one student posts a dream that wants to meet somebody on the other side of the planet one family right lo and behold one of the people in that room actually knew that family and we were able to get her connected with them. And they said, you know, if she wants to come over, um, you know, all she has to do is pay for her travel and we'll pay for her room and board as long as she wants to stay. I mean, just crazy stuff like that that happens. But I mean, we've had all sorts of things. We had one, we did another one at a different university and a student posted that he wanted to, uh, he was into photography and he wanted to get a mentor in photography and a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer was in the room and he wrote on his dream sheet, hey, I'll help you out. And the kid didn't even know he was a Pulitzer Prize winning you know, photographer until he reached out to him to say, hey, let's talk and all these kinds of things. I mean, just crazy stuff has happened. But the biggest things really when it boils down to it is sometimes it's about the comments or the suggestions or uh, you know, the offers to help. But more often kind of the miracles happen because somebody's just willing to write down some dreams and then start that process of taking action to make them a reality. That's awesome. And then and the action that's taken really is, in some cases, nothing more than writing it down on a sheet of paper and saying, oh my gosh, out loud, this is what I want. Right. And sharing that with, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the whole concept really is so amazing. In this notion of building a bigger life, one of the other core tenets is have a bigger vision. And I think we all have a bigger vision. We're just afraid to share it with other people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's one of those things where sometimes a bigger vision just makes people uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It's We should celebrate it. We should just think that's flipping awesome that somebody's got a bigger vision. But a lot of times when we hear about somebody else's bigger vision, uh, all of a sudden makes us wonder, well, is something wrong with our vision or is our vision as cool as their vision? That kind of thing. And so that's one of the biggest things uh, you, know, you and I talk about a lot you know, uh, is who you surround yourself with. Because not everybody's going to understand you walking around with a bigger vision. So it's so important for you to have a couple of people that you meet with regularly that are just as weird as you are, <laughs> you know, by the world standards, that they also have a bigger vision. And that, that one of the big things they want to see is you walking out your bigger vision. I mean, you and I are in a mastermind group uh, that's met together for I don't know how many years. And, you know, you and I and one other person, we're weird together and we push each other because man, one of the things I want to see is you walking out your biggest dreams. And I know that some of the reasons we're walking out some of ours is you've been there to encourage me, to ask me the hard questions, to give me a phone call when you knew I needed to be working or whatever it was, or to drive me someplace when I knew it needed to get someplace, you know, whatever it was. 
um, it's that whole thing of the bigger vision is so important, and then who you surround yourself with to make that happen um, is is so important. But at the same time, don't count people out. You just never know. A lot of times, it's because we don't share our dreams with others. That you know, sometimes that that answer, that solution, could be right around the corner. You just don't know it, and that's one of the things we love about the big dream gathering is is that you know you just never know what answers might be in that room. Just because you're willing to get clear or at least write some of your dreams down and share a few. I love it. I love it. How many big dream gatherings have you done, do you think, ballpark? I don't know. I would say we've probably, oh gosh, 40 to 50, I'm guessing, which is pretty incredible. It started in 2006, and the first one we did by accident. The second one we did a year later, just as it kind of like this one hour business concept that I was talking about. Um, I really didn't know if it was a legit thing, like it was a, a real thing. And um, we, a, a mutual friend, gave us access to a warehouse kind of space in downtown Des Moines. And, uh, you know, we kind of put it out there. This is before Twitter and Facebook and all those things. And so we just kind of put it out there. And lo and behold, like 300 people showed up to dream. And we all of a sudden started to realize there's something to this. This is important. And then we started to hear more and more stories of either people just, you know, realizing for the first time they'd given themselves the permission to dream in a long time, if ever. And then other times it was through connections or networking or something somebody said that all of a sudden helped to make a dream a reality. So we've just kept going with it. And, it, you know, people can find out more about it at uh, my website, MitchMatthews.com or BigDreamGathering.com as well. But um, it's it's really become kind of a mission of ours to see more of that in the world. I love it. And out of that, uh, tell us a little bit more about Dream, Think, Do, the podcast you've launched that um, shares stories of big dreamers out there with the world. Tell us about yeah. that a little bit. Absolutely. Well, what I realize, I love when I do my speaking, I, you know, work with organizations uh, and, uh, you know, help them to dream bigger and think better and do more. Uh, and I do that with my coaching as well. And I know for me, I'm inspired by stories, but also hunger for strategies that work. And then also I, I'm kind of weird in the way that I love to hear about or understand the science behind why some of this works. So, you know, I can be a pretty positive, optimistic, outgoing guy, but I also like the nitty gritty, not so much the rainbows, butterflies and little ponies kind of approaches to things, but like, how does something work in my brain, right? That, so that this, this, so I, that I can understand it and actually, um, use it to kind of my, uh, to my advantage, those kinds of things. So that's why we talk about the science, the strategies, and the stories to help you to dream bigger, think better, and do more. So it's going to be a series of deep dives one-on-one -on -one with me, uh, but then also doing interviews with rock stars like yourself and and best-selling authors and really kind of globe changers. And I, I love working with, and I've already got some just amazing interviews with some really well-known people, but I also love to just talk with people that are making awesome stuff happen um, right where they're at. So example, I've got a, an interview coming up with someone. He's a college student who had a dream company that I always wanted to work with and he'll always want to work for. And, uh, he came to one of my talks and we sat down and we talked about it and that kind of thing. And I asked him, you know, who did he ever reached out to there? And he hadn't there. It's a company in California. And, um, I just encouraged him to just try to reach out. And that, you know, he was from a little town in Ohio. It seemed like they might as well have been on Mars, all that kind of stuff. But he found a way just this past weekend to not only go out there, but to actually take a full tour of this organization with the head of HR 
just because he kept and had this amazing time and who knows where it'll go from there but i can't wait to get him on the podcast just to talk with him because you know whether you're a college student or whether you're somebody that's 50 um you need to hear stories like that where someone just took a little bit of action and had a little bit of boldness you know to go after a big dream um and to see what you know what happens from that so yeah so the podcast is is but we just can't wait to see it grow because we really do want to see people, more people dreaming big, thinking better and doing more. I love it. So cool, man. So cool. Um, all right. So advice section of the, yeah. of the podcast here. Somebody wants to emulate what it is you do or get, uh, you know, get closer to maybe being coached by someone or starting a, a mastermind group, anything that you think uh, and deemed to be necessary to someone's success. So how do they, how do they emulate, emulate your success? Oh gosh. Um, emulate my success. Well, I, I tell you what, one thing that I'd throw out there, cause I do, um, you know, talk with people who want to build, build businesses like what we have or something similar or just a business in general. Um, in fact, I just talked to somebody, they reached out to me. I was at a conference here recently and he uh, came up to me and said, Hey, I want to be a speaker. And I quit my job and I'm really, you know, trying to go after this. And that always makes my heart race for a person. I I know for some people they can make that work, but I'm not a huge fan of that kind of big blind leap of faith going after a dream. I'm more about incremental steps of faith over time. And one of the things that I always give uh, as advice uh, to someone that's kind of thinking about doing something similar to like what you and I do is instead of just quitting um, and, you know, kind of going after your business because you, you, there's so much pressure uh, when you do something like that. It's really hard to make good decisions. And it's one of those where people smell fear and uh, it's really hard to be confident as you build your business when you're doing that. At the same time, I see people kind of go to that other extreme and say, all right, I need to save a year's worth of salary in order to launch my business. And then I'll feel safe. Then I'll feel secure and all those kinds of things. And I see that ditch almost being as dangerous, if not more dangerous, just because saving up a year's salary for some is a possibility. For some, it's it's very difficult. But also, I think that it kind of reinforces, especially if you're wanting to build a business, it reinforces some of the wrong things. So what I do is I actually suggest people create what I call a leap number. And what I mean by that is you can set some goals as, as a part of your leap number to say, okay, I want a certain amount of savings in the bank, and that's great. That's always good to have. But when I talk about the leap number, what I actually talk about is doing kind of the approach that I talked about, kind of doing that one-hour business, building your one-hour business, and get that, getting that up to a point where it's creating a certain amount of income on a consistent basis. So I'll give you an idea of how I did it with ours, uh, our approach was that I said, all right, as I start to coach on the side, as I start to speak on the side, I'm not going to be able to fully replace my income from the pharmaceutical world um, since I'm just doing this for a couple of hours you know, or five hours a week or six hours a week, those kinds of things. I'm not going to be able to just completely replace my pharmaceutical income, but – if I can bring in a certain amount of money every month for three months in a row, what that signals to me is I've got systems in place that if I was able to devote more time to them, then there's a very good chance I'll actually be able to build a business. 
And so that's what we did. That was a big part of our, our kind of two and a half year plan that wound up happening in five months was I started to go to work and say, all right, I want to start creating consistent income, not enough to replace my salary, but consistent income so that I knew the systems were in place. Because in some ways, some people try to just have savings, but oftentimes they have the savings in place, but they don't have the systems in place. The systems, I think, are more important than the savings oftentimes because with the systems, then you know you can build that business and continue to build that business over time. So I always say with, you know, if you take this approach, decide what your leap number is. Decide on what that consistent income is for the number of months that you want. For us, it was a certain number for three months in a row. And we were able to do that in five months and we were able to go and, and take that leap. Now, it still took some guts, especially for me being a recovering warrior. It still took some guts, but it was more of what you said, a calculated risk as opposed to just this blind leap of faith because we knew the systems were there. So I always say, take a leap number, get, it, get clear in your leap number and then build the systems to help you get there. That is so cool, man. Um, and you've, you've obviously mastered the art of putting those systems in place in your business, which is very, very cool to see. Um, I have some rapid-fire questions for you, Mitch. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put my seatbelt on. First one, you said you were a pharmaceutical rep? Yes. For, for which company? Can you I say? work for Tap Pharmaceuticals, which no longer exists, okay. and then I work for uh, Merck. Okay, and I think I know one of the products Merck sells. Yes. Um, so question number one, <laughs> the number of times you had to say erection as a pharmacy rep. <laughs> well, I think I don't know. I think we've talked about this, but the one of the last things when I was at Tap Pharmaceutical, uh, I was in corporate training. Was a last part of my job there, and we were getting ready to launch a product for erectile dysfunction. So, uh, one of my jobs as a corporate trainer was to help our executives be able to say an erection firm enough for intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to say that without, see, I still have trouble now, uh, but to be able to say that without cracking a smile, without laughing out loud. And it's absolutely hilarious. It, it was absolutely hilarious to see these polished professional executives, both men and women being able to, we, we'd get them in a room and we'd just have them say it over and over again, just so that if they got into a press conference or they got into a conversation with a doctor, they'd be able to say it without cracking a smile or laughing or whatever. So I don't know. I lost count at how many times I had to say erection in a professional conversation. So what, thanks hundreds, so much for asking. Hundreds? <laughs> oh, at the least. <laughs> yes. What's funny is that we never wound up launching the product. The, the product got pulled kind of at the last minute uh, uh, by the FDA uh, for some different issues, uh, part of which was that um, it originally was a drug that was designed to make people throw up and induced vomiting in the case of, uh, needing to kind of pump someone's stomach. Oh. So what was interesting was, and I don't know how we got on this subject, you and I here, but, uh, basically what they realized is they gave that to people to induce vomiting. Something else happened, um, <laughs> especially with the men, male patients. And so they tried to back down that dosage to make it something that would work for what we were shooting for, but that never quite. Uh, so there was, I should just say, there's, there was just a high chance of throwing up, which is really a mood killer. That is a mood killer. Yeah. That is just so, not something you want to put on the bottle. Exactly um, right. So thanks for asking. Yes. Second question. Number of times you've cracked yourself with the bullwhip. 
Oh, again, I've lost count. So I grew up an Indiana Jones fan. Just to be really clear on this whole bullwhip thing, I grew up an Indiana Jones fan. And for any of you remembering those films, especially the originals, uh, you know, it was just there was something about that sound. And so now I've become it's one of those where I think that it, it, you just feel like a man when you can you can crack a bullwhip and there is there is some strategy to it there is some finesse to it but there's also just as in life um you get hurt sometimes when you try that stuff and so in in the road to learning how to crack a whip or to be able to um you know actually strike something with the whip those kinds of things i've i've received numerous welts usually to the back of the leg because it it snaps back and then wraps around so it's either the back of the leg or usually around your midsection that it coils up and around so yeah uh lost count there lots of welts lots of welts question three i'm going to put the two of them together number of times you've cracked yourself with a bullwhip with an erection i'm just kidding (laughs) i'm just kidding don't answer that number three number number of businesses that you've you scrapped or would consider a failure ish Oh, golly. Um, again, I've probably lost count because I've done a number of one-hour businesses, some of which really worked uh, and we're still doing today, some of which went down in fiery flames, um, or at least just weren't quite what we thought they would be. Uh, for example, I have a, a question-based game uh, that helps people to draw close together. What's What's interesting is, is that that dream that we were working on, um, that kind of was the catalyst for the big dream gap gathering happening was this game called Q. I still love the game. Um, and we were able to produce it. Um, and we were able to get it into stores thanks to the help that we got from the big dream gathering, but it never really kind of took off like we hoped it would still a great idea. We've got a, a number of different kind of, uh, uh, titles underneath it. We've got some uh, some uh, uh, iPhone apps for it. Those kinds of things. It's great, but um, we had to realize that actually devoting our time to that one wasn't the best fit for my skill set, for our team's skill set, and all those kinds of things. But we also had to realize that maybe there were some other ways that we could use that. And so I wouldn't say we've entirely scrapped it, but it's one of those things that we've shift our focus away from it. But we also realize in looking back. Had we not gone after Q, we would have never discovered and experienced the big dream gathering. And so we don't know whether we had the big dream gathering in order to save Q or whether we had Q in order to discover the big dream gathering. But when you treat your business like a series of experiments, what's beautiful about that is as a, as a scientist would look at an experiment, for an example – they develop a hypothesis to say, I want to prove this is true or not, or they make their best guess at how something's going to play out, and then they experiment, right? And if it doesn't go exactly how they planned, that's not a failure as long as they learn from, from it, adjust, evaluate, and try it again or move on. And so it's never a failure as long as you're learning. And I know that metaphor may even seem trite, but that's the way we've built our business. And on most days, that's what we try to do on a day-to-day basis is try to you know, experiment, take action, learn from that, and then move forward as fast as we can. Very cool. And you can find the Q game at do you Q D O Y O U letter Q.com. Yeah. Uh, as well as on your iPhone, it's an iPhone app downloadable. And it's a great, my wife and I still play the game Q dates. Uh, we, we take that with us when we're going to dinner and play that game. That's awesome. Together. Yeah, it's well, it's one cool. of those where I love it. I love it. You know, it's, it's one of those that it's, it's a product that's near and dear to my heart. 
but it's also it's a little bit like you know sometimes what I realize is is especially as an entrepreneur is sometimes you either have to kill or stop stuff you like in order to move into the things that are better for you, better for your company. I used to think as an entrepreneur or before I became an entrepreneur that I would kind of only have to kill things I didn't like yeah. or stop doing things I didn't like. Um, but I've realized you know, that's as important uh, as it, kind of the figuring out what you're, you're not supposed to do is important as, as if maybe even more important than figuring out what you are supposed to do. So, so true, that's something we just don't do as much of. We don't focus on, we don't actively promote it. We still, you know, get it out there in some different ways, but, um, yeah, but that's, that's freed us up to be able to do a whole lot of the other stuff we are supposed to be doing right now. That's so cool. It's one of the other core tenets of building a bigger life is elimination and, you know, understanding that to, to get to great, sometimes you got to eliminate some of the good that's going on in your life, whether that be relationships or products or companies you're starting or whatever, you know, groups you're affiliated with, whatever. It yeah. Be. Yeah. Um, all right. Last little bit here, Mitch, before we run out of time, okay. top, top three books you'd recommend to someone right now. Wow. Okay. Right now, like that are kind of hot right now or that are out right now or, or just period. Any, any period. Yeah. Any books that you are a major fan of, you know, ones that stay close to the top on your book pile. Right on. Well, I would say the one that I'm reading right now and enjoying immensely is The One Thing by Gary Keller. And it's one of those that especially, you know, I'm a, a recovering perfectionist. I'm a recovering worrier. I have a relatively short attention span, all those things. And what I love about this particular book is that I've, I've seen a lot of books kind of talk about narrowing your focus um, but I've seen them kind of be impractical in that, especially for entrepreneurs, you know, kind of that whole thing of, you know, throw everything else else away and just focus on this one thing. And that's just not realistic, especially for an entrepreneur. Uh, but this I've seen as I like a lot of the science they've put behind these, I like a lot of the story and metaphor that they put behind this, but I really like the strategies, uh, that they're recommending as well. And it's, it's a newer book. So I highly recommend that as well. Cool. Um, one that I've been digging into as well is one by Hal Elrod uh, called The Miracle Morning. And uh, I, I like that book a lot. It's very practical in uh, basically how to structure an hour of your time in the morning uh, to kind of optimize your thinking, optimize your doing, all of those things. And it's at a very kind of practical application. And he walks you through kind of how to do that. And it's one that I'm a morning person, but I also find that uh, if I don't have a ritual I can rely on, even though I'm up early and, and can use that time very effectively, a lot of times if I don't have a plan, if I don't have a system, if I don't have a ritual, I can really lose some of my most valuable thinking time possible. And so that's that's one that I wrestle with, uh, and I, I really like kind of the practical applications of Hal's book. So that's two. Um, and I'm just looking at my I'm just looking at my bookshelf to to just kind of I, I'm I love to read. It's one of those that uh, um, uh, I always I wish there was more time, but I've been doing a lot of audiobooks lately as well, which I enjoy. Um, another one that's a real quick read is uh, "Poke the Box" by Seth Godin. 
Um, I love how his books continue to get smaller and shorter, but I think more profound. So Seth Godin's one of my favorite authors, and he talks a lot about experimenting and things that are very kind of complementary to this one-hour business concept of really experimenting, kind of narrowing, narrowing down and saying, all right, what do I want to try? How do I do that? Whether that's within an organization, if you work for somebody else or for yourself. So that's that's another one. Another one that I always love to to recommend too that's completely outside the business world, but I just enjoy it immensely is The Shack. Uh, and that one uh, is by Paul Young. And that one's more of a spiritual journey and and it's one of those that uh, it's it's a good one to read and it's a fun one. So um, there you go. You asked for three. I gave you four. How about that? You build such, a bigger list. You are such an overachiever. <laughs> I already bought buildabiggerlist.com. There Just you go. You I said love that. it. When you said that, I, that's my reading list. Very cool. I love it. Um, Mitch, this has been a lot of fun, man. You're, you're amazing. You're a godsend. You are um, someone that I am so glad to be close to because you make me think bigger and uh, or what is it? Dream bigger, think better, and do more. I think yeah. that's what I'm doing. Right? That's, that is what you that. you live this thing, man. You do it. And what I love too about your podcast and what you're doing here is you actually live this. Like if anybody's listening, like Adam and I are up up in each other's business a lot. We probably know more about each other than we probably even should. And uh, I know. We all know there's a number of probably authors and speakers out there that are really good at teaching, but they don't live what they teach. And what I love about what you're doing with this and everything you do, Adam, is that you are living so true to this message. And so if the audience, if this is the first time you've heard Adam or you're just getting to know Adam, just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message because they live it, um, all that. So I'm so proud of you. I'm stoked and I'm honored to be a part of the, the interview. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that immensely. Um, if people want more of you, Mitch, they can find you at MitchMatthews.com. MitchMatthews.com, which is uh, Matthews with two Ts. M-I-T-C-H-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S dot com. Um, or they can go to BigDreamGathering.com as well. Okay. And Dream, Think, Do podcast on iTunes? Yes, please. Fantastic. Mitch, thanks so much for being here. Um, I love you, man. Can't wait till we hang out next. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, help spread the message of a bigger life by leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes. Our show today was sponsored by ShredMyMortgage.com, the fastest debt elimination tool on the planet. Hundreds of people, including podcast listener Brady B., blasted away all of his student loan debt, his car loans, and is now working on paying off his house using only the software and the income he was already making. Check out ShredMyMortgage.com for a free analysis. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Carroll. Download a copy of the Build a Bigger Life blueprint at BuildABiggerLife.com. And check out Adam's TEDx talk on YouTube. Until next week, may you build a bigger life.